With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What up, my good man? How are you? I'm doing good. This is interesting. I'm, I'm on a Zoom call and a Skype at the same time. Nice. That's multitasking right there in the 21st century. Yes, welcome to uh, socializing in the age of social distancing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, this thing was supposed to... Um, this is interesting. It's like you're... I don't hear any of the audio on the Zoom call. You're, you're winning the face-off. Heck yeah. Right. Welcome, everybody, to the newest Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. And we actually are breaking new ground this week on the this week. Yes, like it's a weekly podcast. We are breaking new ground this time on the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. We actually have a guest for the first time. With me, as always, is Paul Banks in Chicago of the Sports Bank. How are you tonight, Paul? How's it going? (laughs) Happy MLB Draft Eve. Yeah, MLB Draft Eve, some uh, vague sports-like substance, at least. (laughs) And also with us tonight, we have our first ever guest on the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. Very good friend of the family, of my family. I've known him basically his entire life. Caleb Derby, because he has some very unique insight into our topic tonight. How are you doing, Caleb? Doing good. Thanks so much for, for having me on the podcast. This is awesome. Caleb is a longtime Purdue fan, even though his dad is an Indiana fan. So at least I've had some positive influence in his life. So, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, the reason we have Caleb tonight is we will be talking about the a an infamous event here in the state of Indiana. If you're a big high school basketball fan like I am, we will be talking about the 1964 game between Tiny Liberty Center and the glorious Swayze Speed Kings. Now, this is a game that has always been near and dear to my heart because my grandmother was a Swayze alumni. Uh, Very, very tiny high school in western Grant County, kind of between Marion and Kokomo. It was not around uh, very much longer after this game. I'm trying to actually look it up here and see when there was a when they were officially, officially uh, consolidated into Oak Hill High School. But they got famous in 1964 because they won their first and only sectional championship. They pulled off a stunning upset of massive school, Grant County Powder Marion, in the uh, opening round of the sectional. And they went through, they won the sectional in triple overtime in the title game. But that was just a warm-up for what they got famous for. In their only trip to the regional, they played Liberty Center, and they went nine 
overtimes, which is still a state record. So, Caleb, what what's kind of your how much did you know about this growing up, uh, you know, in the area and being pretty close to Swayze? Well, growing up, I moved to the Oak Hill area in third grade. And we actually had like the Little Eagle basketball in third grade. It was played at Swayze Elementary. And so driving to the gym, you know, there's this big sign with, you know, welcome to Swayze, Indiana. And it's actually the only Swayze in the world. But along yeah, with that, second, Patrick, <laughs> yeah, does it does it have a roadhouse? <laughs> Um, so it also has like the home of the nine over times. And so that was kind of like the first introduction to the nine overtime game. Um, but the next time that like I knew more about it was actually in fifth grade when I was sitting in the principal's office, there was this like newspaper covering with the nine overtime game. <laughs> so sitting in the principal's office, I kind of read over it. So yeah. And I've always been fascinated about this because my grandmother was a big, big basketball fan, and she was always proud of being from Swayze. She grew up in a tiny farmhouse about two miles south of Swayze, and I always heard my mother, who was in grade school at the time of this game, say that my grandmother was in the kitchen and just pacing back and forth listening to it on the radio because, like so many tiny schools in Indiana at the time, if you want a sectional, and especially if you won over one of the regular state powers or big county schools like a Marion, a Kokomo, an Anderson, it was the greatest thing that's ever happened to that school. And I've got Swayze's historical record up here. In their state tournament history alone from 1913 until the school closed after the 1965 season, they were only 35 and 51. And... <laughs> Wow. And that was just in the state tournament. They won four of their 35 games during this one run in 1964, which for a school of their size to get down to the last 32 because they did win the nine overtime game is just, I mean, it was impressive. That was, I mean, that was the dream run back then. So, Paul, kind of what what are you thinking? You said you did a little research and tried to educate yourself here. What what was What was your first impression about this before we get into the actual game itself? It definitely made me think of Hoosiers meets um, the Eric Diebendorf Syracuse Big East tournament when yeah. he jumped on the table. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. It reminded me of that 09 Bulls Celtics playoff series where it wasn't that you had, well, there were, I believe there was one game that was three overtimes and you had multiple games with extra. Um, overtime sessions, but that all came to mind. And then, of course, as we'll touch on later, and I'll save my commentary on that, the running the four corners, the stall ball stuff. <laughs> so with, to give you a little bit of background of the game, uh, Swayze just had a pretty average season that year. It was not like they were some world beater where it was the best season ever and they were like 20 and one or something. But they got things off to a great start by beating Marion in the opening round of the sectional, which Swayze beating Marion was just something that never happened. Uh, Marion currently is tied for the most state titles in state history. They've won the state championship eight times. Two of them are class titles, so they really don't count in my book. But uh, <laughs> I'm a purist. I can't help it. 
Yes, the man who is against the designated hitter and AstroTurf and <laughs> but I'll, in early play. So they, they actually beat Marion 66-59, which if Marion lost in those days, it threw the entire sectional open. Uh, they survived in the semifinals over Mississinawa, which uh, is a, another school in Gas City nearby, 48-46. And in the sectional final, they actually beat Oak Hill 38-37 in triple overtime, uh, which was just a prelude of things because they would eventually get consolidated into Oak Hill two years later. And obviously three overtimes. It was only 38-37, but I imagine that the game was very low scoring. And that only set the stage for the game itself, which was being played in uh, Huntington, Indiana, which is probably about 15, 20 miles north of Marion. And we're playing a small school by the name of Liberty Center, and I'm going to re- be reading this from uh, the hickoryhusker.com recap of the game that they've put up. Liberty Center only had 70 students, and it was the smallest sectional winner in the state. However, they had a uh, six foot five player that was pretty dominant in the game and finished with, I believe, like 25, 26, 27 points. Uh, however, he fouled out at the end of regulation. So they were tied 52-52 at the end of regulation. Neither team scored <laughs> in the first five <laughs> overtimes. The reason for that is they would get the tip-off, Liberty Center got the tip-off, and they would hold three minutes for the last shot. And uh, this is actually a strategy that I've seen today because Indiana does not have a shot clock. It has never had a shot clock, so you have that as an option. And a few years ago when I was working in my job for the Kokomo paper, this was in 2009, the most game, the most overtimes I've ever seen in person was five overtimes when uh, Western and West Lafayette went that far. And sure enough, for the first three overtimes, they just tipped off and held the ball for four minutes to try and get the last shot. (laughs) As the uh, game goes on and everything, uh, Swayze fouled Liberty Center to open the seventh overtime. Uh, they hit two free throws, uh, and then it says Lenny Boswell matched points with Swayze with a field goal for 54-54 going into the eighth overtime. So they only scored two points in the first seven overtimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the part of the video sent me where the people are just kind of like, just, just, just finish. Yeah. Just end it already. <laughs> uh, so... Eighth overtime, they opened things up, and each turn, each team scored five points. <laughs> uh, and then, whoa, uh, look out! Late your showtime there. Oh yeah, I'm sure there were fast breaks all over the place. Uh, and then Burl Turner scores a quick basket for Swayze to start the ninth overtime. Liberty Center misses a shot, and Boswell hit another shot for Swayze. Bruce Stanton came back with one for Liberty Center, but Rex Woodmancy tossed in two free throws to seal the game. And uh, there, there was a video. I'll try to include it here if I can uh, when we get to actually when we actually post this tonight. There was a video of the fifty, uh, the team coming back and being honored for the fiftieth anniversary of this game. And one of the players for Swayze says, when he went, it must have been Woodmancy. He said he went to the foul line in the ninth overtime. And the referee asked him if he was a farm kid. And he said, yes, sir, I am. And the referee goes, well, I'm a farmer, too, and I've got cows to milk, so hit these so we can get out of here. (laughs) 
so it it just amazes me um just kind of this has been in the lore of the state for all for so so long uh, i'm looking up some information here from the liberty center perspective uh, there was a player by the name of Dick Harris who eventually played at, was a small college All-American at Manchester College and even played briefly for the Fort Wayne Hoosiers of the International Basketball Association. He is the player that had 26 points for Liberty Center but fouled out at the end of regulation and had to sit next to his coach for all nine overtimes. <laughs> <laughs> You had 26 points, and how many did they have in regulation again? 52. So he had so, yeah. half of their points. But at the time, at the time, he was uh, six foot five, and not many players, especially in a school, that, or not many teams, especially in a school that small, uh, had anybody who was six foot five. So it was just the give the ball to the tall kid. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like that's just crazy enough to work. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it did not end well for Swayze as the way the state tournament works here in Indiana, at least it did then. The regional semi-state and state rounds meant to win each round, you had to win twice in one day. So they had to come back and play Huntington, the host uh, Vikings in the night game, and they lost by 25 points. <laughs> <laughs> and as i said earlier they actually played one more season in 1965 before they were consolidated into oak hill high school uh which is located probably about five six miles north of the town of swayze but again this is a legendary town and as caleb said they celebrated as you go in with a big big display they've got the gym there in the swayze elementary school so, you know, Caleb, what else do you have to say about this before we get into the anniversary game? I mean, I think it's pretty amazing that this small town elementary has this just incredible, unique gymnasium that I don't know of any other elementary that has a gym like this, you know? Yeah. And uh, now was the was the 50th anniversary game actually played in Swayze's gym or no? Yeah, it was actually played in Swayze's gym and we actually... Our team, we played in throwback uniforms. We had to throw back jersey, shorts, and socks. Yes, that is fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, kind of talk about the game, what it was like leading up to it. And I, I forget, who did you guys even play in this game? We played North Miami, which, I mean, they're a pretty subpar team. But, but still, it was a unique game. So, I mean, going into it, I mean, both teams, I mean, we're going to be energized. Um Leading up to the game, I actually I got the flu two days before the game, mm. so which stunk. So I missed the practice the day before the game. I missed the walkthrough the day of the game. Like I show up to the high school, we take our bus to the game, and I've given my uniform and everything. I mean, I'm I'm feeling like crap, but I'm like, okay, I've got the flu. I'm gonna you know have a Michael Jordan flu game. Um, <laughs> that that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was your senior season, wasn't it? Yeah, this was my senior year. So, I mean, it was a pretty unique situation because, I mean, growing up, you know, we had the, like, Little Eagles where we played at Swayze. Sixth grade, we had our travel team. We played at Swayze. Eighth grade, basketball, that's where we had tryouts and, and practice. And actually during high school, freshman all the way to senior year, I mean, we'd have Saturday practices at Swayze. To actually play a game my senior year at a place that I've played and practiced so many times was, it was awesome. 
It was just, it was, the game was incredible. I, I mean, it was, it was packed. It was so fun. And Swayze's not a very, I've never been in the gym there. It's not a very big gym, is it? No. And I think, I think the capacity is like 1600, but it's the same gym. So, I mean, it's still those tiny bleachers that those old high schools had. So, I mean, when, when it was packed, it was, I mean, packed. I mean, you were, your knees were up against the person in front of you. And I mean, your legs were squished. I'm, lo- I'm looking it up here. You guys did win the game, though. 44-40. And no overtimes, either. Yeah, unfortunately, no overtime. But, yeah, we did win. <laughs> so, Paul, you'll like this one. In doing a little bit of uh, a little bit of research for this, I actually found that this is not the national record for most overtimes in a high school game. Really? Yes. Uh, there, It actually, ironically, about... Three weeks before this game was played, there was a game in North Carolina between Mamers High School and Angier High School. Mamers won 56-54 in 13 overtimes on February 29th, 1964. <laughs> well, that's got to have an even crazier uh points per minutes played ratio than this game did because you look at that and this game was in the 60s it was nine overtimes and this one you're talking about had 13 overtimes and it was still and it was even more low scoring and and usually that's what happens with these games is you know to get beyond three is rare without the uh take the tip and hold the ball um but i also found that a few seasons ago this the Swayze record was actually challenged when I was in high school, uh, and it was kind of up in your neck of the woods too, Paul. You had uh, Griffith, which is a Lake County school, and Hobart, which is either Porter or Lake County. They're both really close together there in Northwest Indiana. In 1996, they went eight overtimes. <laughs> now Griffith, I've, I'm very familiar with. I've been to the airport there a few times. Yes, Griffith won the game 72 to 70. Uh, they played 64 total minutes, uh, which in high school is it's 32 minute, it's 32 minutes regularly. So they basically played a double header uh, because now overtimes are four minutes instead of three, like it was with Swayze. So you you could say that yes, they actually played longer because they had an extra minute per overtime. You think that uh, the obviously the no shot clock rule. I mean, how many states have that? Surprisingly, I think most of them do. I'm not. Sh- I'm not even sure how many do have a shot clock, honestly. Because I do remember that my high school, my senior year, the kind of one of the better runs we had. We went up against uh, Brian Wardle. Does that name ring a bell? No, it doesn't. Oh God, where he's the um, he's the coach of of Bradley now. Okay, he was the guy that kind of became a national sensation last tournament when. He got angry at the Peoria Journal Star and kicked the guy out. Well, you don't mess with the Peoria Journal Star. I mean, yeah, apparently he had a problem that this guy was negative when his team had gone five and twenty-seven the year before because, you know, God forbid you'd say something bad about a team with that record. But uh, <laughs> Wardle, uh, <laughs> he was at, I believe, Wisconsin Green Bay before he took the Bradley job. Hinsdale Central was the high school he was at then. He had a he had a really good college career with Marquette, 
But anyway, um, we tried to like stop them by like playing stall ball, doing the whole, uh, you know, half court kind of thing and keeping it down to like keeping the game in the thirties. And it's weird when you get into a game like that and then you say you lose by like 10 or 12, it's like a blowout. It's like a massive blowout when I think, I think Hinsdale scored like 38 in that game to eliminate us. Uh, uh, you, you talk about low scoring. Uh, my my high school coach was a legendary Basil Mobby, and he never met a low score he did not like. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I'm looking. I'm trying to find the information here, but I know when he was at Lewis Cass, I believe he won a sectional game, so a state tournament game. He won 24-22 in double overtime. Because Basil didn't care. <laughs> also, Caleb, please don't be alarmed by the cat. That's a staple of our show, actually. Yeah, Otis is our third is our third uh, voice. So I was wondering if I was hearing cat. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> this is actually this is pretty standard. I mean, I was waiting for him to get warmed up. He was kind of chill for a while, but he's been. He's obviously he's Otis has a lot to say on this topic. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, to give you another example of how there is no there's no shot clock here in Indiana. uh, One of the games that I last games that I was able to cover this past season because everything was shut down a week later due to COVID-19. I was doing the Noblesville sectional and the Tuesday night game. Between Zionsville and Fishers, Zionsville won in regulation, twenty three twenty one on a buzzer beater. Oh my and it, to be quite honest, it wasn't a matter of one team holding the ball or not. Uh, it was just really, really good defense both ways. And both Fishers and Zionsville had played the previous game of the, the final game of the regular season against each other like a week and a half earlier, and Fishers had won by nineteen. So uh, obviously, adjustments were made. <laughs> <laughs> all of these scores and all these outcomes this is a dick bennett tony bennett um dream scenario here oh yeah so uh, a couple more things about the throwback game uh i was actually incorrect in that the game the original nine overtime game was played at huntington it was actually played in marion where uh oak hill or where swayze had won the sectional the week before so they were playing on the same court and then, according to the Indy Star here for the throwback game, I didn't know if you remember this, Caleb. They actually had the old scoreboard on display there with yeah, photos yeah. and the scorebook and everything. Yep. I think I've seen the scorebook itself in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame, too. So, did you get to meet any of the uh, players that actually played in the game? Because I know they had a whole halftime ceremony and everything, too. Yeah, they had the ceremony, but, I mean, at halftime, that's when we're back in our um, – well, we were in one of the old classrooms, but no, we, we didn't really go, go out and meet the players. But I, I think I remember before we w- went back, they were bringing the players out and I think they had a handful of cheerleaders too. Yeah, that's right. Cause they're, they're in the video that, I, that video that I found on it. Yeah. So I think I remember watching them come out and then we went back in the classroom to just talk about the half and make adjustments. So no, we didn't get to meet any of the players. And uh, it, it says here in the Indy Star when they were writing about it, Swayze was only 9-10 during the regular season. So their 
their little five game run got them to 14 and 10 or 14 and 11 on the season, which not a bad year or 13 and 11. Jeez. I think I know how to do math or anything. I was told there'd be no math. <laughs> but 13 and 11, which pretty good year for them. And, uh, they also had to rally from a 19 point deficit in the semifinal against Mississippi. So it just sounds like it, it was a hell of a story before they even got there. And then you have this nine overtime game that basically just gives Swayze its lore that they have within the state of Indiana. And then Oak Hills had a pretty successful program since then. Haven't they Caleb? Yeah, we've been pretty successful. I mean, we've had a lot of good teams go through, but I mean, you know, when it comes to tournament time, you know, it's, you got to win or you're done, you know? Well, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if uh, Paul knew this, but Monty Toe of North Carolina State fame uh, played at Oak Hill in the early 70s. Yeah, Monty Toe, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that name. Uh, I, I am not familiar with him. He, he was a really good player for North Carolina State in the 70s. And then didn't he go on to the NBA and play for like the Nuggets or some team? I believe so, yes. So he, he's from the Swayze, Swayze area, and uh, we also had Jared Odell playing uh, from Oak Hill to the Indiana Hoosiers in the early 2000s. Yep. And uh, it, there is a good ending here because in 2018, Oak Hill won the Class 2A state championship. And, That's right. Uh, one of the more recent nice. champions here. So they have won one of the small school state titles, and – uh, they had a nice little run themselves with uh, Monito. They won a old single class regional back in 1971 with him, so they got to the last 16. And uh, again, pretty solid program. And one of the few games that I remember covering at Oak Hill was when uh, Oak Hill ended a 46 game regular season win streak for Basil Mobby when he was coaching at Lewis Cass. This was like in 2003 or something. I can't remember it. The exact year I've been doing this for so long. So well, I looked up Monty Toe, and he was the starting point guard on the 1974 NC State national title team. Uh, drafted by the Atlanta Hawks in the fourth round in '75, played for the Nuggets for three years, was head coach of New Orleans. Uh, so I believe this is all that must be the University of New Orleans. Your your mm-hmm. privateers. Dang right. And um, his last gig was an assistant with Middle Tennessee. Actually, no, he's the associate head coach at Oak Hill. Oh, okay, cool. One of the shortest players in NBA history at 5'7". So, hey, I have a shot, except for the fact that I'm 40 years old, haven't played basketball <laughs> in at least five years, and have no jump shot. <laughs> well, one question I couldn't wait to ask you guys, because obviously I've seen this in um, – I've seen it on RoadsideAmerica.com, or I've seen – and I saw it um, while doing research that – there's not only a Garfield statue outdoors by the monument, but there's also a Garfield painted on the wall leading into the gym. Now, is that a connection to um, Jim Davis oh, and Ball yeah. State, or what's what's the story there? Go for it, Caleb. You got this. Yeah, there's actually like nine or so different Garfields throughout Grant County. But, yeah, there is the one of – in front of the elementary and there's a basketball goal and there's a scoreboard with the overtimes. And I think it was, it might've been while I was at Swayze when they painted the Garfield. I can't exactly remember, but yeah. 
There is a Garfield out in front of Swayze Elementary. <laughs> and, and the connection comes from Fairmount, Indiana, population 2,954 according to the last census. But it has not one but two incredibly famous former residents of Fairmount. You have Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield, grew up on a farm near Fairmount. And the rebel without a cause himself, James Dean, from the same town. Wow. In fact, that is where James Dean is buried, and they have a gigantic car festival there every year. That's cool. How far is Muncie? Because I told someone a couple of years ago, I'm like, you, I told them how Garfield was set in Muncie, Indiana, and the person's like, I didn't know Garfield was actually set anywhere. Muncie's probably, what, about 25 miles from Marion? Not yeah, from Marion. It's like a 40, 45-minute drive. And it's all through yeah. country roads and... You know, you can't get there by the way the way the crow flies or anything. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, it's Garfield is huge in Grant County. In fact, when I was uh, the last time that I went to the National Scout Jamboree, Jim Davis, and uh, that is the he he's from where the Boy Scout Council is. He actually designed the council strip with Garfield and Odie for us. So we had officially licensed Garfield and Odie patches that we wore on our uniform. Sweet. Um, I know, Travis, you've seen Otis before, but uh, Caleb, um, that's the kind of cat who our co-host here, he's he's a ginger like Garfield. (laughs) (laughs) He's a lot like him, except he loves exercise versus Garfield hated exercise. (laughs) They both hit Mondays, though. Yes. So I think the final thing that we have to, uh, before we really begin to sign off here, is um, I can't believe that I didn't mention this before, and I feel unfortunate for the, it's very unfortunate for this individual. The coach of Liberty Center is still alive, and he is in his 80s, and he unfortunately has the name of Richard Butt. <laughs> Talk about burying the lead here. <laughs> Is he friends with Dick Pound, the guy who runs the IOC? <laughs> or Dick Army, that government official? I forget what his title was. Oh, my. So, yes, he he coached Liberty Center. He coached in Lakeland and further northern Indiana. And he is still kicking around up near the Fort Wayne area. Uh, But, yes, his name is Dick Butt. When you listen to this one, you'll be like, see what happens when you're not here to censor us. (laughs) See, Caleb, you get to do this uh, without our regular producer, Juan, who he normally is here and he coordinates all of our podcasts and edits them and everything else but he is currently in michigan uh with his fiance and then visiting his family also in south bend so he is not with us this week and uh we wish him well as his travels before he goes back to pasadena pasadena (laughs) (laughs) Uh, shout out Juan. hope you're doing well oh yeah it's not all bad for dick butt though uh (laughs) he eventually was coaching leo high school in up near Fort Wayne, and he led them to their best season ever in 23-1 and one in 1994 with uh, Butler University player John Newhouser, and they were then upset in the, in the regional by 
DeKalb with eventual Indiana and Iowa star Luke Recker. Oh, Luke Recker. Yeah, you did. Oh, man. My high school ended Luke Recker's high school career. We beat him by 23 points in the semi-state title game. So, what's up? Fine. Thank you. Good. I like that. (laughs) Oh, God. He's like one of those guys where every Big Ten school – like uh, like Lucas Johnson was for Illinois. Like everyone hated Lucas Johnson unless you were an Atlanta fan. Luke Recker was kind of like that guy for Indiana. Or Chris Kramer for Purdue. Or um... yes, that's who I was thinking of. Oh my God, yeah, that's he's Chris Kramer for sure. Or or Aaron Kraft for Ohio State. <laughs> the one I think the one that we can all get together on hating is Will Sheehy. That's like the one player that is like I would just punch him in the face oh, if I had a yes. chance to. He had the most punchable face of any opposing team player. <laughs> I definitely don't disagree with you on that one. <laughs> We're spot on with that analysis. Yeah, you spot on. I definitely agree. <laughs> definitely despised Will Sheehy. Oh my gosh. In these uncertain times, it's nice to know that we're all in this together in hating Will Sheehy. <laughs> so we could that, all treat Aaron Kraft was grindy and gritty and blue collar, lunch pail. I, I at least respect Aaron Kraft because he was grindy and gritty. Will Sheehy was just a dick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, anyway. and the eye poking guy. Who was the eye-poking guy? That giant, that seven-footer on oh, Iowa. Oh, Woodall or Wood? Woodbury, Adam Woodbury. Woodbury. Yes. He sucked, too. Yeah, like, I just, I would love hearing, like, Fran McCaffrey and Iowa fans explain him. I'm like, nah, you don't accidentally poke someone in the eye twice. <laughs> Feels like we need to come up with the all-Big Ten. This guy was just hated by everybody, team. I think we've got our next project. <laughs> Well, all right, that should uh, just about wrap things up. Is we usually like to give a little tease for what our next topic is, but I haven't given a lot of thought to it. Uh, did you have anything, Paul? No, sadly, I actually, yeah, once we logged on tonight, I'm like, that's usually what we do, and I, I, I don't have anything as of now. But, you know, it's like you're in the shower or something or Driving and an idea just hits you, right? Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's the best you can hope for, and hopefully we get some damn sports soon because I'm I'm watching the Bundesliga now. And <laughs> see, I got all into that, and then I'm like, oh cool, it's Der Klassiker, and then you're like, oh this is why I don't watch the Bundesliga because the same team wins every year. <laughs> Well, we would be remiss if we didn't list Caleb's uh, own athletic accomplishments at Oak Hill. While he was an accomplished basketball player, and you know, were you a starter or were you a top reserve guy? I was a top reserve guy that year, yeah. Okay, but Caleb was his own declassicer. He was the Cristiano Ronaldo of the Oak Hill soccer team. How many sectional championships? Uh, three-time sectional champion. Yeah, and Caleb was also a uh, all-conference and sectional champion in golf. So, suck it, yep. Tiger! Wow, <laughs> that's right. So, get you it, get a it. Sport athlete here. Well, it's my senior year. I was actually a four-sport athlete. Oh, I did, really? I did track my senior year as well. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. That was hard to do with track and golf at the same time. That's impressive. Yeah, it was. That year was busy, to say the least. Well, the good news is that you still have a Max Preps profile out there I found today. Cause, uh, I do? Yes. But, uh, Paul was like, do you have a link for more information on Caleb so I can prep for him? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> here's, his, here's his Max Preps profile. It says in, uh, he was 7-0 and in golf is in 2013-14. Uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Not many. We don't know many people who have Max Preps profiles. <laughs> Well, in our day, Max Preps didn't exist, and that's the way it was, and we liked it. <laughs> the coolest thing I have is a tag on Deadspin. They, when they have, like, the tags for categories, there's a, there's a category for me because they picked up one of my stories seven years ago. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm a category on Deadspin, baby. I got mentioned once on an ESPN broadcast of a Purdue game because the guy for ESPN – wanted to talk to me about it since it was very obvious that Daryl Hazel was going to get fired later in the season and wanted to get like the fan idea from one of the top fan sites. And I was like, like, I can't remember exactly what I said or how diplomatically I said it, but it was pretty much the, yeah, this guy sucks and we need to fire him now. (laughs) (laughs) So this was during a game broadcast. Well, he didn't have me on during the game. He called me during the week during his research, but then he gave me a shout out during the broadcast. Oh, so did he? He said your full name and the URL. Yes, yes, he did. That's pretty cool. Much I wonder, to the consternation like, of the uh, knucklehead board at GBI that hates us. Maybe much to the consternation of a certain um, self-searching, notorious self-searching on Twitter basketball broadcaster slash pundit. Oh, we we can't invoke his name, or he will show up here. I'm sure. <laughs> It's like, yeah, like if you say Bloody Mary into the mirror three times at midnight or whatever. Oh, my. Well, that (laughs) should about do it for this edition of the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast. So any final thoughts, Caleb? Uh, Not really. Boiler up. (laughs) Yeah, Caleb, I hope we didn't scare you too much. No, this was awesome. This was awesome. Any final thoughts, Paul? Well, I've had the time of my life, (laughs) and I owe it all to you. Oh, goodness. See, that's great. I just hope our listeners, because, I mean, the rule is if you have to explain a joke, it sucks, but I think most of our listeners will understand the connection there. I certainly hope so. (laughs) Wait a second. I just got that. Damn it. It's, yeah, it's two or three degrees. <laughs> Kevin Bacon or whatever. I don't know. Maybe Kevin Bacon was in that movie. I don't know. Uh, my wife has been shaking her head at me now for this. And... <laughs> her, her, continue, her ownership of me continues unabated when it comes to matters of pop culture. So, <laughs> Oh, uh, what did she think about the Florida State thing the other day? Oh, she didn't really have any thoughts about it. It just, it seemed like it went off pretty well, but, yeah. Yeah, it really did damage control on that thing pretty fast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, if we're getting off topic for Florida State, it's definitely time to end this. So for Paul and for our guest, Caleb Derby, the gentleman of Converse, Indiana, because we mentioned Converse is near, or wait, 
where there's so many small towns there. What small town would you say you hailed from, Caleb? I actually live in Marion. Oh, okay. I, I, know, I didn't yeah. know that your parents' house was considered Marion, so. It, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then uh, what what do you do now to let the people know uh, so they can, you know, ask to touch you and bathe in your greatness when you're out in the world now that you've been on this podcast? Oh, yeah. Well, um, I, I just finished up teaching at Lafayette Central Catholic, teaching PE and health. But um, I'm, I'm currently um, not under a contract. So I'm a free agent right now. So if any high school wants to pick me up for a P and L position, that'd be great. <laughs> well, we'll let, we'll let uh, our writer Kyle Holderfield know he is a teacher at Harrison there in Lafayette, and he's also a coach of the football team. And uh, see, that's part of the reason you're running into trouble with Lafayette Central Catholic. They're out of Anthrops now. We don't have another Anthrop coming to Purdue. <laughs> I know <laughs> the Purdue Plumleys. <laughs> So anyway, uh, that should just about do it for the sixth time that we're trying to wrap this podcast up. So for Caleb, for Paul, and for myself, T-Mill, uh, we do and thank you for listening. This. And just remember to always get weird. <laughs>